Hey everyone, welcome into the Irish NFL show. It's a special episode this Thursday night, uh, an extra episode this week. Delighted to be here. Delighted to also be joined by Brian O'Leary, Colin Cronin as well. Boys, how are we getting on? Good? Very good, yeah. Just um, getting over the jet lag after my trip stateside and uh, getting back used to... It was beautiful. Like, I, I, I come back, Colorado was like almost 20 degrees at the weekend. I don't know what I've come back to. Yeah, it's it's not warm, Brian, is it? No, no. <clears throat> it's been a chilly few days. But Colin, yeah, it's good to see you back on the show because a number of fans have asked me, where has Colin been for the past 10 days? And I've tried to explain <clears throat> all the navigation around Michigan, Notre Dame games. You've been in Soldier Field and you've been in Colorado at the weekend. So I've updated people to say you're home, home safely too. Absolutely. Safely. And we've got a very good show uh, and a great guest to look forward to today. Absolutely. And we had our TNF show last night, some great guests on. You can check out our picks then, and we'll do a reminder of the picks at the end of great games tonight as well. We're delighted to welcome in a, a guard, a previous guard in the NFL, 11 seasons in the league, guy who played college football at Navy, drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the second round of the 1998 NFL supplemental draft, Pro Bowl selection in 2005. The guy also played for the Panthers and the Seahawks. Delighted to welcome Michael Wall to the Irish NFL show. Michael, a very, very warm welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm doing great. Really good to have you on. And we haven't had too many, uh, you know, previous Packers players on, so delighted to have you on, Michael. Yeah. But also, you know, you've had such a, you know, a distinguished, a, 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 a really packed career, and also a lot of stuff going on outside football as well. But we ask every guest this, especially any guests from the states. Uh, have you ever been to Ireland before? Have you any Irish heritage, Michael? I'm sure you've been over here a lot, yeah. So, yeah, so yes and yes. I, I can't really, I can't give you the, the, the direct the, the lineage of, of my Irish heritage, but I've, I've been told I'm about a quarter Irish. Um, and I lived in, I lived in Marleybone just in, in London for about 15 months. And so we traveled all around and we had a, uh, we actually had an Irish barrister that became good friends. I played rugby over in, in London years ago. And so um, I've been to Dublin, I think a handful. I actually played, now I'm thinking about it, the Naval Academy played Notre Dame in Ireland in the ultimate home field advantage BS game. We played, uh, we played, I think in 1996 or 97, we played Notre Dame in Dublin, got the absolute dog snot beat out of us. But let me tell you something about uh, Ireland is they like at least some of the uh, half of your population really likes those Navy uniforms. I, I was at that game, Michael, actually, back in uh, oh, 96. I was indeed, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, it was um, one-sided. But but we'll, we'll, we'll move away. We'll move to, your, I suppose, moving into to the league. And, obviously, you played at Navy. You go, as Michael said, in the supplemental draft, the Packers gave up a second-round pick for you. You're joining a team at the time that, obviously, had won a Super Bowl a couple of years prior, had been to the, the Super Bowl um, in 97, lost to, to my Broncos. But obviously, look, this storied franchise that the Packers are, you know, one of the teams in the NFL. Can you talk to us about making the transition from college and, I suppose, just what was it like to join the Packers? Were there, were there huge expectations coming into a team that um, was so successful at that time? Well, I think, you know, from just right off the bat, I played option offense at the Naval Academy. I, I was I was brought in as a as a tight end, lost 30 pounds at boot camp. They put me a blocking wide receiver because they didn't have a tight end position any longer. I ended up having a pair of knee braces in my locker, my spring like spring football my freshman year, and that's when I realized I guess I'm going to be an offensive lineman now. So 
playing option offense in at the Naval Academy is is not even the same planet as playing as playing an NFL lineman. I was just lucky to have a little bit of you know grit to me, and I was I was good at like the combine things. I was a pretty decent athlete at the time for that size. So when I came in, I remember the first day, and you have all these names in your head. Reggie White, Santana Dotson, Gilbert Brown, uh, Bonnie Holiday, first round pick that year, then Brett, Chewy, Frank Winters, Antonio Freeman, uh, Dorsey Levins, Will Henderson. I mean, these guys on and on and on, just really, really top players. And I remember the first day I was there, Mike Holmgren as a head coach, who at that point was ruling the NFL larger than life. And I had held out for a couple, <laughs> I had held out for a couple of weeks into training camp. So I hadn't ever actually ever put on a Green Bay Packers helmet until about three weeks into the preseason. And Mike Holmgren came over and just completely dressed me down because he was mad I'd been held out. He was mad at my agent, mad at me. And we just started off practice by basically everybody stopped what they were doing. And I had to take like 10 pass sets in a row. And I remember, I don't even know how to get in the stance, to be honest with you. Like my stance looks like a tight end stance. I took 10 pass sets in a row from Gilbert, Santana, Reggie. I mean, I'm getting clubbed. I'm getting thrown over the bag. Every Just at a complete embarrassment. So going in there, you're just like, man, this is going to be just a little bit different than, than, than playing at the academy. but it's so you're so lucky to be going into an environment where the locker room is that secure and the culture of that, that place is so secure in who they are and what they want to accomplish. And, um, you know, one thing that I think is, is odd about, about football and especially the way it's perceived, I think from movies and whatnot, is like all the machismo and all the banging your head against the wall. And you see, watch the program and they're like spitting each other's mouth and all that stuff. And one thing that go into a place like that with, a, with a leader like Reggie, with a leader like Brett is understanding that, if you, you know, we're there to work hard, kick ass and, and, and be, and have a good time doing both. Right. And so if, if you're out there and your preparation is right, you don't have to act like a tough guy. You don't have to like manifest this, this anxiety or this emotion. You can just go out there and have fun being good. And um, that was probably the biggest lesson I took away from being around that group. Well, Mike, I was actually going to ask you that question around the fact that you did hold out initially and the reception you got, but you've touched on it there. Um, Interesting to hear your thoughts on Mike Hogan as a whole in terms of your, your time there, because obviously there was two other coaches involved at a later frame, later time, mm -hmm. Ray Rhodes and, and Mike Sherman. How do they compare their styles of coaching and management in comparison to Mike Hogan? Well, so so again, you know, my rookie year is kind of a blur. Uh, Mike is the thing you got to always say about Mike, especially compared to what you get a lot now in some of these other buildings. Mike and his staff were teachers first. Mike literally was a teacher, but they're teachers first. They want to teach the craft. They want to explain concepts. They want you to understand at kind of like a master's degree level of what exactly is going on, why we're doing things. And when you teach everybody the why before you teach them the how, you're going to get a lot of buy-in and you're going to have a lot of success. Mike Sherman was along that same tree, right? He was part of that organization with Mike before he moved to Seattle and then he moved back. So those two guys are, I think, teachers first and foremost. And I think that's why they generally had so much success. You know, Ray, I loved Ray. I think one of the things that happens sometimes when you bring in a guy and you're coming after Mike Holmgren, defensive coach, has a different style, has a different staff, it's tough. And you have a couple, it's like he didn't get a lot of time to, to prove his worth as a head coach. It was one and done. So, you know, I always really like Ray, you know, I was, when, when he left, we were kind of, I was kind of one of those, you know, your second year in your league, you're just trying to try to find your feet and you're just, you know, you're trying to keep your head above water. But um, 
you know, Mike being there, I think for the last five years of my career, I just always, I had a lot of respect for Mike. Mike was like a lawyer's mentality, always asking you very pointed questions, but he really wanted you to understand what was going on, why we were doing things. And to me, that's how you get the best buy-in from these, uh, from these athletes. You've mentioned so many names there, obviously, you know, Reggie White, you know, Brett Favre, you know, what, and I know you've mentioned some of this, what was it like, you know, playing alongside Brett, obviously a guy with great preparation, determination for games on and off the field. It must have been an incredible experience playing with somebody like Brett Favre. Well, the thing about the NFL, and it's even more obvious now, I think, with all the rule changes and how important quarterbacks are. But when you have a quarterback like that, it's kind of any playoff line, it's kind of like two sided, right? One, you can't believe you get a play for this three time MVP who's you know, a Hall of Fame player. Two, you're thinking, like, boy, I better not screw this up and get him hurt. So it, it, there's, there's kind of two sides of the coin. And, and when you have that difference maker, and the Packers have it now, obviously, and Aaron Rodgers, who's like, you know, Brett 2.0. When you have that guy where you go into every game knowing, like, hey, we can win. The, I don't care what the game plan is. I don't care who we're playing. Like, we can win any game because we have – he's that good. Like, he's that much of a difference maker. It's just a real joy and a, and a pleasure. And, and I try to tell – because I've worked at some other buildings and you played some other teams, and you try to tell these athletes, like, where you get drafted really does matter. There's only a handful of guys that can go from day one and just be successful in any situation. Like you have to find the right situation. You have to find the right coaching. And sometimes when you have like an offense, like our offense was loaded. And so when you go on an offense that's loaded already, you have, you're going to raise your game no matter what. Otherwise you're not going to survive. Mike, we've been fortunate to talk to some great O-line guys on the show. Alex Mack has been on with us. Mark Schlereth, he had some great stories about his time with the Hogs in Washington. And you played on what you know many consider to be the greatest Packers O-line that has been put together, the 2003 group. I mean, that even includes the Lombardi era. Can you talk to us, I suppose, about like life in the trenches and you know how that group kind of came together? Well, I you know I, I don't know if we were the I don't know if we're the, the best group there, and who you know that's for other people to talk about. But I do know one thing we really, really enjoyed each other's company. And I think that was maybe as important as anything else. Um, and you kind of look at the makeup of that team and how we were put together. And it was just, these personalities just kind of worked. We had, you started the left tackle, you have your most talented guy at left tackle. Chad Clifton was just a hall of fame talent. I mean, just absolutely, I can't, I, I, I've got to play with Walter Jones. Right. Walter Jones is the best football player I've ever seen in my life. Chad Clifton is just like just a little bit beneath him. Right. I mean, he's that talented. And then I was this guy who I really just I was in it for the fight. Like I wanted to push you over the pile. I wanted you to think about me more than you think about making your play. Um, Mike Flanagan, cerebral, um, very, very witty off the field and on the field. Incredible. Like best hands I've ever seen in football. Marco Rivera, consummate pro, he's going to leave no stone unturned, you know, very, very good technically, just one of those guys who maximized his, his athletic ability. And then you have this Wisconsin born and bred kid, Mark Tauscher, who showed up and we're all kind of like, we thought they did it for a PR move to draft him. But then day one, he starts beating Bonnie Holiday at left, at, at uh, left defensive end. I don't think he loses a pass set the entire uh, training camp. So he, we just had this group that worked together, had a lot of fun. Our family still talk. We go on vacations together. We went to Metallica concerts. I mean, we just like doing stuff together. And, and we really, really took a lot of pride in like, if I had eight knockdowns in the game the week before, 
you know, Marco and Mike, they might act like they don't care, but they were going to try to get nine the next week. But we had that competition about us, and it just really propelled us to be to be good. And and don't forget, guys, Brett Favre, Amon Green, Bubba Franks, Javon Walker, Donald Driver. Like it didn't hurt that I think ten of our eleven guys were you know Pro Bowl All Pro guys. Well, Amon Green, the running back, who's I think he's the lead rusher for the Packers, obviously says if it wasn't for you guys up front, he wouldn't have had the career he had. Just uh, moving on to 2005, obviously Marco Rivera goes to the Cowboys in free agency and you go to Carolina. You were both the highly sought after in terms of that free agency period. Can you talk to, talk to about that initial period, moving to Carolina, the transition, first year Pro Bowl, second year, I believe, going to the championship game against the Seahawks. Obviously, you were the fifth seed going into the playoffs. Uh, I suppose Jake Dalholm was a good quarterback at the time. Just that overall experience. Yeah, you know, it was tough. It, it, one thing, you, you, the grass is always greener, right? The grass is always greener when, when you're, especially you're seven, year, seven years in. And I, you know, I thought, I think on a personal level, I really, really enjoyed playing with Green Bay. I had so many relationships there that I, I really value even to this day. But I think at some point in your career, you go, you start looking around going, hey, I, I'm like, I'm pretty good and I'm not getting recognized as being pretty good. And um, so I was looking forward. I knew I was going to be the top free agent in the market that year. And um, I was kind of looking forward to going and trying to find a defense that was you know, top three defense in the league, which Carolina was. They were our first game of the season the last year in Monday Night Football. And I remember thinking, like, after that game, we, we beat them. And I, I, we were sitting in the locker room going, that was the hardest game we could possibly play this year as an offensive line because they were they had Mike Rucker, Chris Jenkins, Brentson Buckner, and Julius Peppers, not to mention Dan Morgan, Will Witherspoon, Mike Manor, all the other guys they had on their line. So, I mean, on their, in their box. So, we were. I was just thrilled to get that opportunity to go – and, and, and kind of make a name for myself somewhere else. Now, having said that, <clears throat> we've had some success in Carolina, but it was never the same for me. Carolina was never the same it was in Green Bay. And I think what, what happens, I was talking, I was talking about this uh, last week, is when you go to other teams, especially when the defense is the priority and you have your head coach that's a defensive guy, what ends up happening is, you know, the, the, if the conversation is, hey, 17 points, we should win the game because our defense is going to stop everybody. It's like, man, I'm not, I didn't come here to strive to be average, right? And, and I was used to being a top three offense, and I, I had the, we had those expectations for ourselves. So sometimes that transition, I think, is a little bit difficult. But getting to play with guys like Steve Smith in particular and all the defensive players that I, I spoke about, I love playing with those guys on defense. I just loved having the opportunity to be around a defense like that that just was a bunch of dogs and, and knew how to really play hard and play as a, as a unit that was an incredibly uh, rewarding experience for me mike sorry was the intensity in carolina uh, similar to what you would have got in green bay you mean you look you watch a packers game in lambo you see the crowd no it's not completely different <laughs> no it's completely different, different. no so i mean and listen it wasn't it's not anybody's fault it's just you know carolina is an acc basketball town at least it was then i mean i remember when i went to the uh we went to you know look for houses and real estate agents like Sneaking, sneaking back around the corner because she wanted to watch the ACC tournament on, on her, on her phone. So, it's a little bit different, right? Lambo's to me, there's nothing like Lambo uh, except maybe Kansas City. I don't think there's anything like Lambo in the National Football League. I don't think there's anything that comes close except for Kansas City. It's you know, it's Yankee Stadium for football fans. So, there's really if if you want back, if you're into football, if you're a fan, if you're a player, like there's really no other place to play if you have the opportunity than, than the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, playing in Green Bay, playing in Carolina, and playing in Seattle, you've worked under a number of different head coaches. Have you any uh, particular moment or any stories that stand out from your career with those different teams with the head coaches? 
Well, I mean, obviously, when I first got to Green Bay, I was alluding to before. I, I Michael, Mike knows this story well. Uh, I get out on the field and I got my helmet, I got my jersey on for the first time, you know, because remember, I didn't go through any of the the preseason camps or anything because I was a supplemental draft pick. And Mike says that he goes, "Hey, he goes, uh, come here." I say, "Hey, coach, you know, I'm I'm literally wet behind the ears, naive Naval Academy kid." He says, uh, did you get you get signed? I said, yeah, 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 I got signed. He goes, hey, did you get what you want? And I and all we wanted was like one year less than they wanted to give me, right? Like four years versus three or something. I go, oh yeah. And before I could finish my yeah, 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 he just lit into me, just completely. Ever, I'm not going to repeat all the words he said, but the message was, you're done. You're not getting coached this year. You're not playing this year. Screw you. Screw your screw your agent. And I'll talk to you next year. And I was like. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. And so I remember Tom Lavat, the line coach, he came up to me that, you know, later on, I think that day, and I was like, look, man, sorry. Like, I got to get the guys ready to play. So you're out of luck. So I was very lucky. And Mike, listen, I, I busted my butt that year. And, and Mike came to me, you know, eight games in and said, hey, I really appreciate the way you're working and blah, 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 blah. Let me, you know, let me kind of participate in some of the game day activities um, later on in the season. So it kind of worked out. But it was it was it was one of those moments where you're like, Man, this is a real business now. Like we're not we're not in college anymore. These guys these guys have some. I don't know if there's some hurt feelings or what, but like this that was a that was a unique situation for me at the time. Mike, interested in in hearing your thoughts on the this current um, Packers team. Obviously, Matt Lafleur comes in first two years. He goes thirteen and two both years, but um, you know it doesn't work out in the championship games. But this year, obviously, they've started really well. The defense is possibly what everyone is talking about. But obviously, we, we saw, I think, Aaron talking yesterday about potentially having to have surgery, though he says if he has it on Monday or Tuesday, he can still play on the Sunday. Do you think the team, this team can go all the way this year? Absolutely. Yeah, their defense is the difference uh, maker in, on that, that squad right now. Special teams has been really, really up and down. Uh, to put it nicely, but I think their defense, the way that Rashawn Gary has kind of exploded onto the scene as a as a guy who can create pressure, he's. I think now he's. You know, I know he just got his elbow hurt, but he is now entering into that. I need to game plan for this particular athlete realm, which they haven't had in as long as I can remember. And so with him, Z coming back, obviously Kenny Clark's playing. You know, Kenny Clark's one of those guys that. I think he's playing at an all pro level. I mean, is he an Aaron Donald? No, because he doesn't have those kind of moves, but is he, he is so disruptive in the run game and he's being able to push the pocket in ways that it's much more difficult now to push pockets. When your quarterback is taking a snap at five and dropping back to 11, that's a long ways to go for a defensive lineman. He's still able to push that pocket. So I think up front, they're doing really well. Obviously they're, they just have a wealth of talent in the backfield. You know, Jaron Alexander is, is not even on the field right now. As soon as he comes back, you add with him. Rasul Douglas is playing out of his mind. We got Stokes as the rookie. You got Kevin King, who's who has now started to, I think, improve off of what was last year, maybe a disappointing performance. Obviously, Devondre Campbell's playing at a very, very high level on defense. And then, you know, listen, Aaron Rodgers is so much better than the other quarterbacks in the league. And it's just the things that we don't even really give him credit for. But just like watching the Rams game last week. The push that the, the Rams got against our offensive line minus three starters, the push that they got would have crumbled 31 other quarterbacks in the league. 
And he just drops back another yard, throws off his back foot, and just knows exactly where to go with the ball on time, all the time. And when you have the right game plan come together with a quarterback like that, it's just – I think they're really, really difficult to beat. I don't know what's happened in the last two years as far as the NFC Championship games and, and why they haven't had success. But, you know, I, I feel pretty good about their chances going in right now if they can stay healthy. Mike, another quarterback in the offseason, they got a lot of talk in terms of potential trade, was Russell Wilson um, of your former team, Seattle. Yeah. They've kind of fallen off the cliff this year. I don't know if it's, it was expected. I suppose a lot of people felt they may not go to the playoffs this year. Do you feel that a move is in the offing eventually, the way things are playing out, and potentially would Pete Carroll remain there in the offseason? So if I think if I heard your question right, you're asking me about Pete? Pete and Russell, to a certain extent. Is there, is yeah, there, is so there it's, a... It's, it's a good question, right? Because they're kind of, you, you wonder if they're, if they're tied at the hip and yeah, they certainly yeah. don't seem to be getting along right now. I think there's two ways to look at it. And if you look at it from Russell Wilson's perspective, he has had an incredible, now, first of all, when they came in, Legion of Boom runs that team not, and, and Bobby Wagner, right? Yeah. They run the team, Richard Sherman, Cam, uh, Earl, those guys run that team. Russell Wilson is a is a is a very a guy who comes in. He's doing the job. He is not managing the game. He's making plays. But as far as personalities go, it's Pete Carroll, who's a defensive guy, huge, huge, um, motivational, excitable guy. And those guys love him and they buy into him. And so the team is going one way. Now they're all gone. And Russell Wilson is not a defensive guy. Russell Wilson is a little bit, it seems like he's a he's very, very concerned about his legacy. He's very, very concerned about how he presents to the bigger market. And he has come out publicly and said, I, I'd be willing to go to these four teams. I don't know if I, you know, I don't like the coordinator. I want this, I want this, I want this. And now he's not producing and now he's actually playing quite poorly in the last couple of games. And so from my perspective, I don't know how he stays there because I think he's probably burned a lot of bridges. And then the next question is, I think Pete's still the oldest guy in the NFL. And, yeah. you know, for the first time, I think in his press conferences, to me, he looks, um, I don't want to say he looks old, but he looks a little bit worn out from everything that's going on. Obviously the situation calls for that too. But you just don't see the – they don't have that that group of people that are just, hey, we're going to – whatever Pete's saying, we're going to take it and run with it and we love it and we're vocal about it. And that energy that the Seahawks had for so many years, Bobby Wagner was never really that kind of guy. He's a lead-by-example guy. He's, he's the best I've seen in a long time. But I think he needs those other people to have that excitement, bring that energy to game day, and they just don't quite have that. Mike, I agree with you. The defense, I suppose, essentially created that great period. But the past few years, you would argue, as you said, it's more the offense. And Wilson would feel the offensive line hasn't been improved to support him, I suppose, continue building that offense that needs to essentially take him yeah. to the playoffs the last few years. Yeah. So, but here's the deal, right? You remember when Ben Roethlisberger first came in the league, and they were throwing the ball 17 times a game. And they were relying on um, Jerome Bettis, and they had Alan Fanica and and, and yeah. Jeff, uh, what's his name from uh, from Penn State. They were really really good offensive line. Okay, and then what happened? They find some success, and Ben Roethlisberger starts holding the ball for like 
I don't know, 25 seconds a snap. And all of a sudden, his success, like the thing that's making him famous, is at odds with the offensive line's ability to pass block. And that's exactly what's happened with Russell Wilson to some extent. This, I don't know who came up with like let Russ cook, but whoever did that really did the Seattle Seahawks a disservice because I think he bought into that narrative. And what happens is now, if I'm an offensive lineman, right? So if you drop, if I say, hey, we're going to drop back and we're going to throw the ball at two and a half, three seconds, I'm going to be at eight yards. I know where you're going to be. And all of a sudden, every single play, I have no idea where you're going to be. And you're holding the ball for longer and longer and longer because you're trying to, maybe you can't see over the line. Maybe you can't see the, the, the intermediate crossing routes, but you're looking for these plays down the field. And everybody is reacting to that in a positive way. Your success is now based on my failure. Because everyone's going to say, Russell Wilson's doing a great job. That offensive line can't pass block. When in reality, they're not that bad. He's just holding the ball for so long and he's never in the same spot. That's a really, really difficult way to operate. Like, I know their line coach, Mike Solari, he's one of the best line coaches in the league. Like, they know what they're doing. So that part to me is always, that's where I, I'm kind of at odds with, like, the, the national media. That narrative is not necessarily accurate in the way that they're performing versus what Russell Wilson's forcing in that in the in the games of the way he's playing it's going to be an intriguing off season with seattle and russell wilson and pete carl uh michael just one last quick round of questions for me uh obviously ending your career 2007 2008 time you just about missed the international series is that one regret that you have or you know because I, I know you know we, we speak to some players they love it we speak to other players like and they they, they they literally say to us oh i hate the travel i hate the time difference and i guess getting accustomed to it because now sometimes you're not guaranteed a bye week but is that something that you would have loved to have done and the packers are still the only team yeah, they're, never, they're never coming over <laughs> they're never gonna they're never giving up rainbow shout out to the uk packers fans watching this uh, yeah sorry sorry they're never coming over. but i'll tell you what i i actually came over in, uh, two times when i was working for miami i love it i lived in london uh, in 2011 and i absolutely london's that area is my favorite part of the world i wish i was still living there to be honest with you and um i think those i think in increasing the brand awareness i think in, you know increasing the involvement of the sport gaining more fans. I mean, I wish they'd go to Dublin. I wish they'd go to Germany. I I would like to see them have a handful of games over the course of the next, you know, 10 years, maybe in different, in these different European cities, because I think the market's there, right? I th I'm, I'm doing a talk with, a, with the, the Polish football union on Sunday. I didn't know there was football in Poland, but it's been there for 15 years. We just don't know about it because we're the US and we, you know, kind of like to stay in our little box, right? I think the international series is great. I love what they've done. I hope it, I hope they continue to build it. I do think it's difficult to, if you start thinking logistically about like Con bringing the Jaguars over and actually doing that in London, you just think about th little things like how are we going to get those free agents to come over and try out? That's going to have to be somewhere in New York. Like how does that all work? I think that's difficult. But as far as as teams going over there and, and, and promoting the brand and, and really putting some some good, I just wish you guys would get like imagine if imagine if London. I don't know if that London really cares to be honest with you, but because like you see like every every jersey there regardless of who's playing like it don't really matter right like yeah. british guys just like to dress up because it's because they like to dress up so like if the cowboys packers game was over there though i think that would be something right like just big primetime game two awesome teams yeah probably uh if we if we had a matchup like that i think that would get uh, everybody's attention 
Mike, I want to ask you, I suppose, um, about uh, go, to take you back to the Panthers and um, yeah. in terms of their situation, they decided that Cam wasn't the answer. They brought Teddy in. They decided he wasn't the answer. They brought Sam Darnold in. Then they decided Sam wasn't Sam wasn't the answer. They brought Cam back. Now they now Cam got pulled the other day. If you're the Panthers, what what like and, and even from your perspective as a player, what what must it be like in the locker room and and how do they go about solving this situation? So when Matt Rule showed up, he had just kind of fixed Baylor, right? And he was, and then he's got Joe Brady, who's this off. He's like what, 28 years old or something, offensive genius from LA, you know, season LSU. And it's like a splash hire. And I think it's really difficult. First of all, Cam Newton leaves because Cam Newton's hurt, right? When Ron Rivera decides to get rid of Cam, he's not getting rid of 100% Cam. He's getting rid of hurt Cam. So then you try Teddy, and and Teddy, unfortunately, he was had such a promising career with Minnesota until he got hurt. It was just unfortunate because he's never quite been the same guy. He was really good his first couple of years in, in Minnesota. Sam Darnold, when you take a risk like that and you lose draft capital on a guy who is – I hate using this word because he's a human and, you know, but damaged goods because he was with a very, very toxic – organization and staff and like I, I worked with some of those guys it's tough right and so when when you bring that kind of guy in with the expectations and then it doesn't work out and you're and you're scratching and clawing from a player's perspective I'm sure they're thrilled that Cam's back if Cam's healthy if he has a couple of hiccups like if you watched that game last week they had yeah he had a bunch of picks he was like five for twenty it was an awful game but if you watch the game what was the real problem the real problem was from a language standpoint he couldn't check out a place like he had a real hard time checking out a place I don't think he just has the verbiage yet or they the master of the offense so that's going to take some time so it's again now you got growing pains you have a limited playbook and when you're playing a team like Mike they were playing the Miami Dolphins who can really only create pressure by by creating pressure by blitzing by running dogs because they don't have pass rushers. Like you start to have these kind of structural problems with the way you want to run your offense as a coach and the way that you, your, your team is capable of playing. And I think we, it, it exposes, and I think this is the point of frustration from a, from a fan standpoint. I think there's a point of frustration from a player standpoint. When a lot of these coaches have gotten jobs, I'm not talking about Matt Rule necessarily or Joe Brady. A lot of these coaches get jobs because when they were younger, they got on Madden, right? And they know scheme and they know how to, they know defensive coverages and they understand how to draw stuff on Vizio, but they don't necessarily know how to like teach their players, how to be the best at the basic positional requirements of their sport. And a lot of them are unwilling to change what they do, what kind of made them famous. So back to like the Russell Wilson comment, right? It, it's tough to change what you do, even if what you do isn't going to work right now. So with, with Cam, it's like you have Cam, man, go two tight ends, slow the game down, run the options, make the simple passes, play action. It's like do the stuff that you know he can do now. Don't put him in situations where he can't check out a play as it gets a, a, a cover zero blitz. It doesn't make any sense. That was a long rant. I apologize. <laughs> um, Michael, for, for fans this side of the world, do you want to tell people about the process to perform, to perform and the podcast and everything that entails sure. and everything you're doing? Yes. Yeah, so so I started after I got I, I went back into football. Like I said, I, I was working as I was a position coach, performance coach, and I was an NFL's first skill development specialist. And 
I wanted to just see if I could create an environment where we could teach the, the themes of becoming elite to you know pros all the way down to preteens. And so I, I created this process to perform. It started really as a player development podcast. So if anybody wants to check out, you know, if you're a parent, player, or coach, you want to check out a player development podcast, go to process2perform.com or you can check it out on any, anywhere you get your podcast. We, it's all about player development, all kind of the, the things center around the three themes of mindset development, technical mastery, and ownership decisions, which are like lifestyle decisions in the best interest of future you. And then I, I just wanted to start this platform. I, I started taking all these things away from why were these guys that were at the highest level still struggling? Why weren't they reaching their ceiling? And again, it comes down to those three themes. It comes down to, you know, are we, are we giving them the tool set to be successful? So I created a platform where regardless if you were 12, 24 years old, we can really help you create that tool set, take ownership of your process, right? Take ownership of your career, understand how to identify and assess and correct your areas of opportunity, because that's what really propels people from good to great, from great to elite. And, and it's been a lot of fun to get to help out and, and reach a lot of, of young athletes and, and get them to the next level. Mike, finally, um, but just because you you speak so passionately about coaching and, you know, you, you have such tremendous insight and, and you spoke kind of so well in, in terms of offering insights into that Panther situation. I'm interested in, you know, your take on the Dolphins and Tua yeah. and the line yeah. there, because that is a line. While Seattle might have a line that isn't struggling, that is a line that is struggling. And you have a QB who, you know, has come in, is only in the second year, was coming off an injury. Well, what's your take, I suppose, on the Dolphins and Tua and, and that O-line? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so they've tried to kind of get right for as long as I can remember. I mean, when I was there, we, I was there with Joe Philbins last year, and we were always trying to get right. And we had some guys that could play. You went through a bunch of different coordinators, a bunch of different line coaches, and now you bring in, you know, they have the tank for Tua movement, and then he dropped to six, and, you know, so they, they finally end up getting their guy. But again... For me, it's always most interesting if you can find a coordinator that is willing to adapt to your personnel. And you're not going to – like Jalen Hurts is a great example. Nick Sirianni is not known for running the ball 43 times a game. But Jalen Hurts is only going to be successful if you run the ball 43 times a game. When I look at Tua, and I know that everyone talked about his accuracy at Alabama. But when I look at Tua and I, I look at how happy he is with his feet in the pocket and he just seems to play better on the move, he seems to play better when he's in space, you start trying to figure – and you understand your offensive line just really cannot pass protect very well. You have to manufacture offense some way. And that's really where – I think that's where coaches can really differentiate themselves and be successful is how do we manufacture some offense. And honestly – if you look at last week's game, I thought the way that they called that game was was really, really well done. I thought they made it. They had a lot. I mean, you, you're getting Jalen Waddle the ball. You're getting you're getting Albert the ball. I mean, you're getting these Albert Wilson. You're getting guys that are very, very difficult to tackle, have speed and space and are creative playmakers. You're putting them in positions to be successful and you do it over and over and over again. But you keep you do that by running the quick screens. You do that by running the ball downhill, keeping the defense honest. What? What a lot of teams end up doing is they have a plan, they get punched in the mouth, right? Their plan changes. It's like you saw with the Houston Texans two years ago. They were dropping back like 70 times a game. It's like, I don't care who you are from an offensive line standpoint. I'm Deshaun Watson. I don't care who's back there. 
you're not going to win a lot of games doing that, man. It's it's just a really, really tough road. So I think that you know, Brian Flores, to me, seems like the kind of guy who's going who's to be a really good coach in this league. Like, I think he's a football guy, and I think he's a teacher, and I think he has a high demand and respect. Uh, he, he has a lot of respect from the people in that locker room. And it's just a question of, you know, we've got peanut butter over here and we got chocolate over here, man. Like, how do we put them together to, to make the most delicious snack? Because I think two is looking more and more successful offensive line wise. You know, do you do you need to, you know, do you need to be the best at the basics? Like, do you need to work on some fundamentals a little bit more? Yeah, you absolutely do. But I think schematically at this point in the season, what they're looking at, you, you kind of have to change who you are. I'm looking forward to seeing how Tua goes up against Mike Lennon and Brian's Giants this weekend. It's going to be fun this weekend. Oh, the Giants still have a football team. That's good. Cool. Uh, <laughs> hang around. You can come on the show anytime, yeah. Michael, with uh, comments. Yeah, yeah, every week. They're tough. Yeah, Daniel's not gone yet. Daniel's, Daniel's practicing at the moment. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Uh, do you guys think that Daniel Jones is – what do you think of Daniel Jones is going to be there next year? Um, I think no. they'll pick up – I think they'll pick up the fifth-year option, but I think that's more so because – what's coming out of draft and um, doesn't seem to be up to the caliber that a lot of people would expect and unless they go down a free agency route in terms of trading away two first round picks for potential i think russell, russell wilson will be in new york next year yeah I've, I've i was gonna that's where i was going with that there mike um two first round picks potentially in the top 10. Yeah. that could be the market in which he wants to go living you've made us christmas there michael you've you've made us christmas i think there <laughs> let's see what happens. i certainly have a new gm so it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of daniel jones and i i, I have a question what, what's with the harris jr jersey over there is that are you just a broncos guy are you I, i'm a broncos guy and uh, obviously that uh that no fly no fly zone uh defense uh yeah, chris is a, a big good. part of that and he's he's a he's a super super smart guy i think chris harris jr is an incredible player he, he mm -hmm. has he's, he's had a great career yeah i just it's funny you don't when you when you're over here a lot of the you're not necessarily regionally a fan of the team in your region we're not we aren't built like that in america like you know you go to liverpool everyone's gonna be a liverpool soccer fan it's, it doesn't necessarily work that way here but i'm always interested in, you know the reasoning behind why people over across this across the ocean pick certain teams right is it was it like is the first team you saw they probably the the remember the jerseys the Broncos used to have back in the late eighties early nineties the neon orange and it, it popped off oh, the yeah. screen and the way in which John Elway played the game I mean John yeah, Elway was do he was doing Patrick Mahomes type things before Patrick Mahomes existed this the scrambling the big arm and I I fell in love with the Broncos I, I the guys know I watched the the Forty Niners put the biggest beat down in Super Bowl history on us that was the first Super Bowl I was allowed to stay up for first. A sporting event i cried over but uh i've had some good years since then my, yeah they've, my, they've been a great franchise my, my first experience was when the giants beat the broncos in the super bowl in pasadena in 86. so that's why i'm a giants fan oh yeah that was a good game too yeah, yeah. 39 20. i like to remind the guys every now and then <laughs> michael wasn't even born then mike unfortunately i wasn't even <laughs> 91 i was born so uh, i've still a long way to go in, in terms of that so five or six years difference there in terms of that but uh Michael, you're at Unrivaled ESS on Twitter, uh, process2perform.com. Yes. Everyone give Michael a follow. I'm sure everyone in Ireland, the UK, you know, just from listening to you there, Michael, like get get follow Michael on Twitter. And Michael, look, you're you're more than welcome on any time and hopefully we can get you on for the Packers and the well, the obvious postseason is gonna come. And it's it's been a pleasure speaking to you and we really appreciate you taking the time and wish you all the best now over the next uh, few months in this season and forever beyond. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. A lot of fun.
Thanks, Thanks so much, Mike. Michael. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michael, what and fantastic to have him on. We're just going to very, uh, just, you know, obviously brilliant to have him on. We're going to just try and wrap up the show very quickly here. Get in the middle, Colin, quickly. Here we go. There's a game tonight. We have a special show from last night. You can get it on Twitter, YouTube, podcast. Everyone's going with the Cowboys, even Mark, who's not here. Uh, and very quickly, uh, Brian, matchbook. Cowboys minus four and a half favorites. I think that's generous, personally. I do think it's generous as well. I know this. I know the Cowboys are coming off a, a difficult loss to the Raiders last week, where they were seven-point favorites. But the Saints are having their struggles. It looks like you know, Taysom Hill is going to play quarterback, and he's been struggling with injuries. And we at this stage, we don't really know how efficient he's going to be. So, Cowboys need to rebound in the division where Washington are now only two games behind, so they could quickly find that. That lead has been eroded, but no, I think once the game is in New Orleans, I feel the Cowboys will have more than enough to win this game. And so Colin, that, finally, just cover the handicap. Oh, yeah. Cover the handicap, okay. Colin, great show last night as well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic to, to kind of get insights into to both teams and to welcome uh, big, big Jeff on after his win at the, the weekend. So this should be really interesting. Obviously, um, you know, two, two big teams. We know Sean Payton will want to put a sh on a show uh, play, going up against Jerry, but the Cowboys need the win. So, yeah, plenty to look forward to this evening. You can watch that show now on all of our social media channels and YouTube podcasts as well. Thanks again for Michael coming on. It was a fantastic show, lads. Really enjoyed it. And we'll be back on Saturday. We will see you then. Back Saturday night. There's a special guest on as well. See you then.